Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. Imagine gathering flowing lava in Hawaii, or camping on an active volcano in Ecuador, or even tangling with horse thieves in Peru. It's all part of the true life story of volcanologist Jess Phoenix. I recently talked with Phoenix about her recent book, Ms. Adventure, My Wild Explorations in Science, Lava, and Life, and about her philosophy that we are all born scientists. Well, when you think about it, we basically come out of the womb uh, searching, exploring, and testing the world around us. Uh, I mean, when you're when you think of a toddler or you think of a baby that's just learned to crawl, it's all about how many things can they put in their mouth. <laughs> and, uh, and that actually is testing a hypothesis, which is the fundamental um, process that we go through in science. So as humans, we have that in our DNA, that, that shared heritage of needing to understand our place in the world and what is true about the world around us, what we can depend on or, or what we can't. So when people think that science isn't for them or they think that, oh, well, you know, I did poorly in chemistry in high school, which, spoiler, so did I, um, you can actually still be a scientist. And you, can, you may not have to have the formal training, but you can still inquire about the world around you and determine if the information you're getting is good or if it may be faulty. And that's something I think that we have a duty to do uh, as basically explorers uh, on this rock hurtling through space. So, uh, you, and you talk about it in the book. How did you make the jump f to, you're a volcanologist, so how did you make the jump from there to, what was that, I believe, was it history you were studying? Yeah, I, I started as an English major, English. and then I ended up getting a history degree. Uh, and and it, was, it was sort of towards the end of my undergraduate years where I, hadn't done very well in school one semester. I was depressed. Now, in retrospect, I know that was depression. Uh, and the school was nice enough to give me a retroactive medical withdrawal. But they said, you can't be readmitted unless you go and take classes elsewhere to show us that you can do the work. So I took classes at UMass Amherst uh, and for one semester. And I just sort of said, I'm to get back into the swing of school, I'm going to take classes that just sound interesting. So I signed up for poetry, uh, history of North American native peoples, um, journalism, and, uh, and this intro geology course. And it was funny because the course met once a week for four hours, 6 to 10 p.m. on Wednesdays. And the lecturer spent the entire time with his back to the class drawing on an overhead projector. It didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because he was answering the big questions like, how are mountains formed? Why are earthquakes a thing? Um, what drives volcanism? And it was sort of the big picture questions that I had always wondered, especially as a child, but thought that either the answers didn't matter or that maybe we didn't know them. So it was a real eye-opener for me. And I ended up getting a, a master's degree from the Cal State University Los Angeles um, school. And that's because the Cal State system has a program where, where you can get a master's degree in something unrelated to your bachelor's degree, and you're considered a conditional graduate student. And then uh, once you've completed enough of your makeup work in tandem with your graduate work, they upgrade you to a, a classified graduate student, meaning you're, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've got to ask, how the different, the different 
work that you've done, the different expeditions that you've been on. I, I've got a good friend of mine from college that is a, a videographer and has gone on a lot of National Geographic shoots, and I, I get to hear all the tales about all the great scientists and other folks that he gets to work with when he's out out shooting in all, all corners of the of the globe. How did you f- kind of fall into the work that you've been doing that you talk about in the book? It was a weird and unexpected evolution. Uh, when I first worked at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory as a volunteer researcher while I was still doing my master's program, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a, you know, a volcanologist at an observatory. That will be my life. Uh, but you know, I left my PhD program, uh, all but dissertation, that, that uh, internal thing that we do when we say, you know what, this program isn't working for me. <laughs> and and I, I left it after I had moved to Australia with my brand new husband for that degree program. So my, my career sort of went in the direction of natural resources unexpectedly. And it was from working in, in coal mines and in hard rock mining that I really saw what we as a species need from the planet to live the lives we live, but then also what we could be doing better in terms of the environment. And so that prompted uh, my husband and I to move back to the United States, and we co-founded the environmental science research organization, Blueprint Earth, that um, I run nowadays. And we teach uh, university students, college and university students, how to do field research. And we do it at no cost to the students. So we get a really diverse offering of students. And then as part of that, I realized that uh, something one of my master's advisors had told me, uh, that I was a science evangelist, and I I needed to use that to my advantage. So I started saying, well, you know, why do I care about people learning science and about being curious about the world? And I, I thought, well, because that's how we solve big challenges like climate change and overpopulation and getting food to the people who need it when they need it. And and we need curiosity to fuel our our meeting of those challenges. So I said, okay, I'll go on TV. I will uh, I will make science accessible as much as I can. So I do that through the nonprofit and through um, doing different TV programs or consulting with various governments when there's uh, a crisis or their natural hazards issues or, you know, just whenever people need help with how do we explain something that could be complex and really foreign to people? How do we make that something that, that they can get their heads around and feel like it matters to them? Well, you can certainly understand the, the many implications from both sides of the issue in terms of, of coal mines where we're located here in southern Illinois and also in part of the New Madrid seismic zone. I understand earthquakes and the impact. <laughs> yeah, you get both. <laughs> in the impact of, of that, both good and, and bad as, as, as well. What, what is it that we need to understand about our natural world and our environment? I mean, there's a lot of hot-button issues, you can whether you want to call it climate change or whatever you want to call it. What do we need to understand? So I've, I've been able to do climate research um, on a few different continents, and climate change is happening. People are correct in that it would happen whether or not we are here, but we are definitely accelerating it. And so it is, it is our job, and I think this is the most important thing, and it shouldn't be political whatsoever, but we really need to understand how – the environments that function, the natural environments, how they function as systems, living systems that include everything from microbes to atmospheric patterns, weather patterns. And when you have, you know, too much precipitation, it could 
kill or, or damage microorganisms that are essential to plant growth or um, basically creating food for animals higher up the food chain. So we all need to understand that everything, even the rocks beneath our feet, play an important role in how the natural world functions. And as humans, we're pretty disruptive. And there's, I mean, we can mitigate that. We can make our presence something that is in balance. And I think that's what we should be striving for is how do we take what we need, but do it in ways that are not damaging to either the people in those areas or the environments themselves. And we just need to act with more care and more intention as we're planning out natural resources projects because projects because you know we all want our cell phones and our <laughs> and our cars and things still and you can start to to shift how we think about it but we also have to recognize that balance is essential for the natural world and we have to weigh what we do in in terms of balance does it throw it off or does it maintain the balance you mentioned politics, so I'm going to ask. I know you ran for Congress in 2018. You kind of touch upon that briefly in the in, in the book. How would you compare that adventure to your adventures exploring the natural world? It's interesting because there's a sort of duality, uh, at least there was for me, because I never planned on being a, vulcan a volcanologist. I never planned on being an explorer. And I also never planned on running for office. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian when I was a kid. Or, you know, my goal was to be in the, in the NFL. But uh, that didn't quite work out because I am five foot six and uh, <laughs> not quite that good of a football player. But um, I think life takes us to unexpected places. And running for office, I was really inspired by a lot of the people I met. And not just people who agreed with me in terms of, of politics or policy ideas, but by the enthusiasm for making the world a better place that I saw. And, and I also find that in the natural world is that everything in the natural world is designed for survival. Every creature that exists, its primary goal is, is surviving. And, you know, we see the natural world get thrown out of balance if predators become too great or if, you know, the, the, even the, the prey animals, if there's too many of them, things get thrown out of whack. And in the political sphere, if we have too many people who are disengaged, the whole system breaks down. So we need to look for those pockets of inspiration in the natural world and in each other. And I actually found a lot to be optimistic about. And, and I find that in both places, both the political arena and the natural world. I wanted to, 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 to ask about, you've got a, you've Outline, you talk about a number of, of different um, excursions that, you, that you've taken. How did you decide what went into the book? <laughs> that is a great question. I did. It's a fair, very fair question because I, I wasn't sure how to do it. And um, interestingly enough, I'm friends with some, some writers, and one was a childhood friend. Our families met by chance, and she is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and a journalism professor at UMass. Amherst. And when I went to her and said, Maddie, I think I would like to write a book. I know not a lot of people have access to volcanoes, so I'd like to make this more available. And she said, well, you know, I'm also adjunct faculty at Goucher College in Maryland, and they have a low residency MFA program. And I said, you know what, that sounds fantastic. Why don't I get this degree? And it was right after I started that program that I started running for Congress. So I wrote my, my, my master's manuscript, which became Ms. Adventure, 
while I was running for Congress. And um, a lot of the a lot of the process was made easier by my very first mentor in that MFA program who said, start with the timeline. You're writing a, a memoir, like a reportorial sort of memoir. And she said, start with laying out the events as they happen chronologically, and then see if you can tie them to major personal events in your life and your, your growth, or see if you can tie them to major global events. So I just made a basic timeline. And from there, I started to think, okay, is this going to be too in the weeds if I start talking about some of the expeditions we've done with our nonprofit? They're definitely memorable, but they were very oriented on a team sort of mm-hmm. format because we would have so many scientists present. So I tried to, for the book, choose episodes that were fairly self-contained. Um, uh, you know, the Hawaii ones were a little bit more sprawling, so I had to pick a few moments that really stuck out. Um, but the the later expeditions that I've covered, there were a few central characters who I could I could write about. And if you're not trying to tell a story where you've got 20 students in a group, <laughs> which is a little bit more challenging. So it was sort of convenience and also the things that made me pause and say, wow, oh, my God, is this real? Is this my life? <laughs> so that's sort of the standard. But I'd say for anyone looking to write something that's a memoir, just start at the beginning and just make a list. You don't have to use everything on the list, but start there and you'll at least see what comes to mind for you as major events. And sometimes that's a great place to start. As well as being part memoir, this also seems to be kind of part guidebook. <laughs> a little bit. And and I think that's because I get so excited. I mean, I'll drive around. And, of course, in the western U.S., this is easier to do than, than parts uh, more east where there's more vegetation. But I look out the car window and I'm like, wait, look at that fault. Oh, my goodness, look at those folds. Oh, you know, and it's so I can't help but observe the natural world. And so that's I've tried to imbue the story with enough science that people learn things, but also they learn them in a way that is picturesque and and hopefully memorable, Uh, because I want them to think differently about how our landscape affects us as they move on with the rest of their lives after reading the book. I was going to say, Jess, is that what you hope that that readers take away? (laughs) Yeah, I think the big thing, though, um, even more than the specifics of any volcanoes or the beauty of any one place, it's just that we really have to keep the the fires of curiosity burning. And that is how we can combat the disease of ignorance that threatens us in this 21st century, where there's so much misinformation and and active um, sabotage of intellectual pursuit. So we need to stoke that curiosity, not just in the young people out there, but also in, in adults, too, and people who may be so consumed with the difficulties of trying to pay the bills, that they don't have the chance to be curious. If we could live in a world where everybody had the opportunity to be curious and inquisitive, that is what would would make me the happiest. That's volcanologist and explorer Jess Phoenix. Her recent book is Ms. Adventure, My Wild Explorations in Science, Lava, and Life. Phoenix is also the executive director and co-founder of the environmental scientific research organization Blueprint Earth and co-host of the Discovery Channel series Hunting Atlantis. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.